Hi, Eric Bergeron. Hi, Andrew D'Angelo. Hi, Francis. <laughs> oh, hi, Francis. <laughs> you too. What did you do today, Eric? Well, this is the first time I've been here in your place, mm-hmm. and I have to admire. Thank you for coming over. Yeah, it's really cool. Thank I, you. I really, I really like it because, like, I don't know. On the tour, it was just kind of mesmerized by all the stuff all over the wall. And it's my husband, artist Jordan Haley, loves to clutter the house with all of his artworks and books. Yeah, really cool stuff, and I love his t-shirts too. But yeah, the books, oh my God, I love that you have many different libraries and they're all amazing photographic books of like different artists and designers and mm-hmm. it's a mixture of fashion and art and musicians. and. I love books. It's like we don't see enough of them. I am yeah. not someone. Can you read on one of those tablets? Because no, I, I can't. It's I mean, really hard for me. Yeah, I'd never be able to do that. And even like, I always think of it as reading from a screen, and mm-hmm. it's it's kind of not because it doesn't have that same like brightness. Right, I agree with you. But I I couldn't do it. Although I hate carrying giant books. That's on what the I was train. saying. The only thing about good, you know, good about a Kindle or, you know, one of the tablets is that you don't have to carry the weight and you can put multi- multiple books on the thing. But I actually love carrying a real book and, you know, enjoying the art of purchasing at a bookstore and looking yeah. at the covers and, you know, I miss that. It's kind of a dying art. There's yeah. a lot of my friends that don't read books. What about you, Andrew? My mom listens to books on tape in the car a lot. And I think she kind of got me hooked on the idea of alternative ways of reading. Mm -hmm. Because I read a lot as a kid. And I read a lot of fiction. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, I just kind of stopped after high school-ish time. And I don't know why. Eric knows. I don't really finish books very Mm -hmm. well. And I don't know. I I just don't know why. I think maybe because... I don't know, YouTube? I, I, I listen to a lot of things on YouTube. Mm-hmm. What are you currently reading right now, Eric? Um, I'm, I'm rereading a book that I actually got rid of uh, like a while ago, and then I, mm-hmm. I rebought it recently. But there's this, because I was reading a lot about space travel mm-hmm. recently, and I forget why, but there was something else I was reading that I was like, oh, i got to research more about space travel. Um, but there's this artist, I mean, there's this uh, writer called Mary Roach, mm-hmm. who, I don't know if she would call herself a journalist, but she certainly is, where she talks about, her, all her books are like these specific subjects mm-hmm. that she goes into such detail with. Like she has, her most famous one is that book Stiff, it's all about human cadavers and where your body goes oh, when yeah, you're dead. Oh, yeah, I know that book. It had a really cool cover. Yeah, it was yeah. the cover with the feet and Incredible. it said stiff and the tag on uh, hanging from the big toe. Did you read that one? Yes. I, I, read I all really want to read that one. It's really good. And the, what I thought was most interesting about that is like mm-hmm. when you donate your body to science, you think it's just going to be like, you know, research for cancer patients and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And it's never what you think. Like it's, mm-hmm. it, you know, like they, there's this one example where it would go into a car manufacturer and they would put these dead bodies in these cars and do crash tests with them what? to see what your body would react when you wear this kind of seatbelt and this kind of layout and this kind of dashboard. And, you know, it's stuff like that where they would bury the bodies and see how it decomposed. It's, mm-hmm. it's nothing like you would mm-hmm. hope it would be for like you know, curing young children of leukemia. Mm -hmm. No, the chances of it going to that are like slim to none. But this book that I'm reading now is called Packing for Mars. And it's all about space travel. It's so amazing because they're what you think. I don't know when you think of space travel and how NASA people prepare for, you know, uh, space travel. Like they, they really analyze every single thing that 
you do like they'll call you at like four in the morning and try to see what your reaction is because they know that you know if you get really huffy on the phone or you get kind of your voice inflection and was raised or something like that they know that you'll react in a certain situation that way Hmm. when you're freaking out because something will go wrong in space and something always will go wrong when you're on a space mission and also like you know obviously they feed you during the day Mm -hmm. and they'll they'll take your food and they'll see what you left over based on 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 the food that they feed you so it's like oh this person had like a little bit of chicken left over and so they won't have these nutrients so they they're not a good space candidate or they analyze every single thing you do because you know you have to have this like severe kind of type of psychology in order to not freak out when all of these things go wrong because it's such a weird kind of foreign place you know could you see yourself going to space I could but only because of my meditation practice and because I'm able to I think have a good grasp on not freaking out anymore Mm -hmm. however I don't think I'm smart enough I think you have to be really brilliant scientist Mm -hmm. and or engineer and know how to I mean a lot of it the majority of it is like fixing the shuttle Mm -hmm. you also have to be an athlete Mm -hmm. you know like you have to be incredibly physically fit not saying that you're not healthy but you know I think you have to be very 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 focused on building your body in a certain way to put it through all that that's going to be an interesting thing because I was watching what you know um, Richard Branson's doing with Virgin Space One and Tesla and also Amazon with Jeff Bezos he's they're all kind of the race to space on how you're going to make space travel you know for the consumer that really wants to go there and how long it will take and all those three companies are really doing it so it's it's a funny point to, to think about it's like are they we're going to have training courses for you to like you were saying Eric to be able to mentally handle it and and also what you were saying Andrew is like to be an athlete like physically what, is, what are you going to go do physically right. and humanly capable but I think there's going to be in the future a difference between being an astronaut and being a kind of lay a person civilian. a civilian yeah. in yeah. space you for know sure. which maybe that'll be but it's going to be interesting and I was like it's like it right. takes two days to go to mm. I think they were saying to Mars. Mm. It might be a little bit longer than no, that. No, I think it's longer to two go to months? Mars because you have to pass a little... Maybe it was the moon. I, re- I was... Don't quote me on that, guys. But I just know, thought it was really interesting. There's this phenomenon that has a name that I, I can't remember the name, but um, there's a couple astronauts who talk about it. But it's there's a feeling you get when you're in space and you're looking back at the Earth and you, you're realizing how small it is and realizing that all of you know your problems on the earth and and you're kind of analyzing like this is all human beings live on this one tiny planet and when you're looking at it from a different perspective the perspective of space Mm -hmm. everything seems so small in comparison Mm -hmm. and you kind of have this like sort of out of body i was gonna say yeah Yeah. experience when you and you realize that like nothing matters Mm. and there was this was one astronaut who said after he felt he was the greatest feeling he's ever felt, but it spiraled him into a deep depression, you know, wow. because of that, because he, he, he just was, he lost all hope. But I think in that kind of case, you can use that in two ways mm-hmm. where you can think of it like, you know, nothing matters anymore. Mm-hmm. Or you can think of it like I'm compl- nothing matters and I'm totally free. You right. know, I don't have any right. problems. Well, that's now a question of your totally own liberated from your it. own perspective and your own rhythm. 
you know, I think, but I think the interesting thing is how, what space does, not just outer space, but literally the sensation of space, your Zero relationship gravity. to space. You know, there's a lot of things that, you know, especially like you said, like you looking out the window and the earth is small, 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 it's getting smaller and it's only a speck and you do realize it's like even hearing that story, it makes me realize, wow, like, you know, certain materialistic things or emotions or things that happen through the day, it's like, you know, none of that really matters. It's about coming back to your center and like trying to have a balance and be happy. Yeah, completely. There's also, um, which one, one more thing about space, which I thought was like super, super visually interesting mm -hmm. is that, um, and you listen to this with me cause I played this for you before this, but it, there was an astronaut who went to space and he was talking about, he had like six hours to repair something in the space station. So he was out into space and it's, you know, it's really dark there. Mm -hmm. And he said that because of the way of the rotation of the earth, there was a point like every 45 minutes that the sun would come into view. Mm -hmm. And so it would, and the way that, um, the, the, the way of something about rotation that when the sun comes up, it would come up like that. Mm -hmm. Like you would all, it's not how like here we watch sunrise. It takes like an hour or whatever. The sun would come up and all of a sudden it would be like somebody turned the lights it's on. Be it's because they were going around the earth so fast. Mm-hmm. Like, they were going around the Earth, I forget what the measurement of speed was, but they were orbiting at such a fast rate that night and day came every 45 minutes. It came every 45 yeah. minutes, and it was, the sun came up, and all of a sudden it was the brightest thing that, and, you know, obviously, the sun, you know, so it literally warmed up 400 degrees, and it, all of a sudden it was like the brightest thing from the darkest thing. Mm -hmm. And so then they had to work in the light and then the sun went down as fast as it went up. So all of a sudden it would, you know, they would get to a certain point in the rotation and then the sun would completely disappear and then it would be back to cold. But the spacesuits are so cool that, you know, obviously they're air conditioned on the inside of you mm -hmm. burning in hell. Right. And so the, the minute that would come up, you'd feel that temperature change, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then the, you know, all the electronics in the suit would come up, but it's this, he said it was just so beautiful, this visualization of like, all of a sudden it would just be like someone turned a light on. It was so super surreal. Mm -hmm. I mean, can you imagine that? Mm -hmm. It's so cool. And be, yeah. I, I wonder, it's kind of that same feeling on, on certain parts in the world when, you know, they, they have their summer solstice and their winter solstice and the sun doesn't go down and then, you know, the sun yeah. doesn't come up. And it's like, it's also, you know, it, I think it happens a lot in, in Iceland. And I have friends out there and it's like, you know, there's a huge state of depression. You know, I think it was like, you know, during those peak times, it's like, you know, in the country, it's like the most suicide rate because people get so depressed. During the long nights. Yeah, the, the long, long nights when yeah. the sun doesn't come up. So yeah. it's very, it's very interesting. I don't know. They seem a little kooky when the, you know, when the sun is... 24 hours too, but I just saw Midsummer the other day. So oh, so did that's we. What, you did? I loved it. What, oh, what do you so think? good. I loved, I loved it his so films. much. I mean, I loved Hereditary. Yeah, me too. Remind me of the guy, the director's name. I don't, well, we can spot can check it, it but up, like yeah. the Midsummer. I mean, I thought it was so beautifully filmed. Yeah. I was like, wow, you haven't seen it yet. Andrew, no, I haven't you? seen it yet. No, oh, you haven't seen it. No, it's I haven't incredible. seen it, but I'm, oh. I'm, I have a date. I'm going to see it with um, this film director who I've been like courting to do a project with. And we decided we we're going to see it together. So. It's it's beautiful. It's yeah, such, and it's I love such a horror a, movie. A that's, mind bender too. It's yeah, and it's you know the ending scene. He, I, I loved it, mm -hmm. but it, it very much looked like 
we're trying to frame a fashion photograph, you know, of like, remember that ending scene of the... Yeah. Yeah. Ari Aster is the director. Love, love, love. And the flowers. Oh, the flowers. I I told Andrew, which I'm not going to give too much away, that I want to do a whole photo shoot based on those, that thing. I mean, I think it's, it's so beautiful. But then there's a lot of different, if you go online, we're not going to give away the ending, but there's a lot of different um, analysis of like what, could happen or what did happen and then oh, really? what yeah it's it's pretty interesting um, it's really so let's segue into something let's jump off that so you talked about in the film you said they were trying to kind of frame a fashion picture mm-hmm. right so you're an artist costume designer and you have your experiences in making actual fashion too yeah so what do you feel like the relationship is between all of those things Especially when it comes to like, you look at a film and you're like, and you're you're dubbing, you know, something as being fashion versus mm-hmm. costuming, or is the ins- inspiration coming from, you know, is the inspiration actual? Do do you believe it? Because sometimes I feel like I don't. I'm, correct me if I'm wrong. What you're trying to ask, Eric? It's like sometimes in films, especially from a fashion point of view, people really do kind of get it wrong and it becomes it looks like it's such a try hard that's mm-hmm. like I've seen this before yeah. like you know it's or, but just what makes but what makes something a, a, an attempt at fashion versus you know good costuming yeah well you know what I what we, it's exact kind of what friends I was saying before with like the, you know the try hard thing I mm-hmm. don't actually think he did that and you know during my face <clears throat> while speaking about that I was kind of going back and forth with it because I think it's like just on the edge of that. Like it mm. really reminded me of that <clears throat> that Dave LaChapelle photograph of Alexander McQueen yes, going up absolutely. the hill in absolutely. Scotland with the yeah. castle in the background. I can see that. Because it was very much like her in this, in, you know, beautiful gown made of flowers mm-hmm. with this amazing cinematography, picturesque mm-hmm. thing happening behind her on fire. And it was very like... Uh, like posy, 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 and it and it, yeah. an attempted being beautiful. An attempt at being beautiful, and it was so beautiful that I I didn't want to question it. Yeah, but that was the only time it kind of took me out, and it made me realize it was like watching a movie mm-hmm. because it was very like, you know, you know, the onset photographer. That mm-hmm. was his moment to shine. You know. Mm. So that was, it was about, it felt about beauty, but mm-hmm. it was so cool. And it was just a moment yeah. in the whole thing. And Do you think that's the difference between costuming and fashion is that fashion's always kind of targeting a kind of like framework of beauty, whereas costuming is trying to tell a story. It could be at the expense of beauty. Do you think that's the difference? Um, in this particular, I mean, I just think, uh, it's about industry and mm-hmm. functionality and it's just if you're making if you're designing something for a movie it's mm-hmm. it's it's a costume exactly. because that's the label that it's umbrella so pure, purely and about you get like direction industry. and you get direction from or they you know you've you've designed some pieces for films haven't you yeah i was doing yeah i was working on a film in new mexico mm-hmm. uh april in april 
Can you tell us a little bit about that process? How how do you when you do work on a film like that? Does does the director or you know the cinematographer or like or you know the the head costume designer do they give you a reference point or is it a conversation and it's what you bring to the table? Well, in this particular case, there was mm-hmm. um it was this Tom Hanks film called Bios, mm-hmm. which is probably coming out in twenty twenty. But these costume designers who came to my show a year ago and when I had my big fiber sculpture show mm-hmm. um, which I want to talk about but we're going to yeah. segue into that later okay good um, they came to it and they mm-hmm. you know picked me up as like oh he'd be a good person to have for there so I was working with them mm-hmm. pretty much was this your first film that you did the first big film yeah, yeah. yeah. big motion picture yeah. yeah that's amazing and so they were kind of you know we were kind of they were like this is what we had in mind this is mm-hmm. what it's for this is what blah 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 and so we, um, you know, I helped them make it based on that. Cool. I mean, we can't give too much away. Yeah, I, I was the like, film's not out yet. I'm kind of creeping around. Yeah, like, that's amazing. Though. Did you enjoy or... the process of being on oh, a film I loved it compared so much. to being in a studio and doing something for yourself? Yeah, I loved it. I mean, I had mm-hmm. I had my own space down there, and oh, I was just kind of building something for them. And I just, mm-hmm. yeah, I really, really. I really loved it. It was kind of like a residency because they kind of just gave you your own space to go down there and make something, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, totally. And Is there a different process of of doing, you know, a film versus, you know, I know you've done some Broadway... You know, is there, is it, and also for your studio stuff, is it a different process in your head that you do? Or is it just really, you take every single, you know, project that you have and then you kind of go in the same way no, of well, gathering the inspiration? Broadway stuff I've done a lot of tailoring for and mm-hmm. um, I've, I've worked on a couple TV shows as a tailor oh, as well. Oh, you have? Oh. Yeah, and th- it's just the way that things are constructed. Got it's it. different. Broadway, okay. you could be more sort of raw with mm-hmm. alterations and repairs because it's being seen from, you know, three rows back is like mm-hmm. the minimum kind mm-hmm. of. I mean, you're, you're seeing it from a distance. Mm-hmm. So you, there's ways of constructing things that you would never do on TV because it's like it's so close-ups and polished. And, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. It would be the same for makeup, really. Yeah, that's, oh, what, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I was just thinking about. It's like, wow, that's kind of like the same way that on how... You know, yeah. and do it now with HD, especially. You know, I don't do too much television. Have you done any television, Andrew? No. I mean, those HD TVs no. are insane. It's like you see everything, and well, I'm we've like, we've done I commercials have... together. Yeah, but that's I'm like, TV. you know, that's that's TV, and sometimes there's filters. But I have friends that are on, you know, actors' friends that are on television shows, and now with HD, they're like, oh yeah, there's like un- no unforgiven. It's just really raw. So it's like I always think about what that made that point of what you just said about you know the different alterations I, yeah. I did meet a, a makeup artist actually with you at the beach who uh did um stranger oh, yeah. things mm-hmm. yeah. and he said he did the fx stuff so he's making the monsters and oh, everything fun. but i remember he would he was saying how he used to work for law and order mm-hmm. and how he said that they literally wouldn't let him do any makeup interesting like it was just kind of one of those formalities, I think, to be the mm-hmm. makeup artist. You know what it's like, it's like when you're yeah. a makeup artist on set and you're really there for a formality reason. Like yeah. they didn't want anything, hmm. you know. But I, you know, I'm I never notice makeup, you know, in TV, and now I notice it real a lot because I see some actors, like male actors. Like I remember seeing it on a um, who's the Thirty Rock guy. Alex, Alex Baldwin. Alex Baldwin. Yeah. And I remember, see, I don't remember, maybe it might have been 30 Rock, which mm-hmm. I've never watched, so I don't know how. But he had, I remember being like, he looks 
so powdered. He looked like Miss Piggy because it was like you pink. You could see the, the yeah. product on you could, it. It looked like fleece on his yeah. skin. There was so much product like and powdery, but I'm sure. I mean, you see everything. Because, you mm. you know, to your point about that other makeup artist in Law & Order, that is before, you know, the high-definition television. So Law & Order is an old show. And, you know, everything was kind of just like kind of glazed over and like one, that one filter. And it's like, you know, are three different lenses that television usually shoots on. And now it's like everything is so multifaceted. But like you see, because we just, you know, I bring this up because we just got an HD television I was fighting it for a long time but our television broke and now I actually it took you know my husband and I like two months to get used to seeing it like that because it, it, it everything looks different even old films which I love you know especially the old Criterion collection stuff and it's just like oh my god these it looks distorted but I don't yeah. see the appeal of it honestly because I don't think that HD cameras it and, brings I it don't, doesn't bring anything I, to the yeah, table and it's not sorry how, HD it's not how my <laughs> eyes see in person either yeah. Like, I don't think that those cameras really, they don't mimic your experience seeing things in real life. It's just, mm-hmm. a, it's just a, a much, a much, uh, I don't know, higher definition camera point of view. So I don't, I kind of miss the filters. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of want what, the blur, <laughs> you know, very, very recently I, I saw Hedwig and the Angry Inch on mm-hmm. Ford. G four G F K L. No, it's actually it's actually because I kept saying four G and it's not. And actually, John made fun 4K. of me. Four K. It's four K. Four K. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's out on four K. And it maybe I did the same thing. Maybe maybe it's because it was on the big screen because I saw it mm-hmm. in the cinema. I see. Maybe it was because of that. But mm-hmm. things were so much more dynamic and it's so much. Crazy. I noticed so many more things that I've never seen that movie so many times oh, that's and I never know. I've noticed so many different things that I. Never never huh. noticed before and see i like hearing that i like hearing. well that's a positive spin yeah. to it after my negative spin to it so wait guys like so talking about high definition i want to talk about your shadow work exhibition that you did i mean that was very high definition to me because it was <laughs> like, nine what? fiber sculptures that were seven feet tall mm. can we talk about that yeah epic totally that was? thanks um so shadow work was something that I started like four years ago mm-hmm. and well, it's actually probably like five now, but it took me about four years to construct those. Wow. Yeah. It took me a long time and I had to keep punctuating it with like working on other stuff, uh-huh. but it took, it took me a really long time and it was like from, I don't know, I was designing it. It was actually supposed to be a runway show. That was the original was like fashion. Oh, really? It was supposed to be fashion. And so when I made the first one, it just became kind of too large. Mm-hmm. And they, and I, I, I don't know, I just ended up, you know, putting them on dress forms and mm-hmm. they became less uh, wearable mm-hmm. as, as I kept making them. And so they ended up being, you know, too big, too unwearable. And so mm-hmm. I just kept them as fiberscope. And because the project was so long, the construction of it, the idea kept changing mm-hmm. the whole time and, and different things. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll describe them. To, can you can you pull them up? Yeah. You can just pull up my website. But during... during So fire, Shadow Work was a de- depiction of these nine uh, kind of large fiber sculptures. Mm-hmm. And each one was all about... Oh, my God. All about, how beautiful. Thanks. Wow. It was... It was the whole idea was about my own mental mm-hmm. hell, basically, and the all hell that we kind of all 
put mm-hmm. ourselves through all Are the these time. based on chakras? Yeah, the, these incredible. were. So the, the first one is this big white piece, mm-hmm. and it's coffin guys, shaped. Guys, we'll make sure to put this on our Instagram so you guys can see, and Eric's um, website. So each one was a different part of the story about creating your own mental hell. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I talk about hell, I, I don't mean it in, like, a biblical sense. I mm-hmm. mean it more like, and neither, like, a Dante sense either. It's mm-hmm. more... It's more being tortured by your own thoughts mm-hmm. enough that it completely, you know, hell, you can get used to pain, which Absolutely. is, I think, the uh, physical pain, which is, I think, like the biblical mm-hmm. expression of hell, but real torture is in the mind, you mm-hmm. know. So each one of these is a different part of that. And so the first one, it has all of these colorful candles in this white kind of dress. It's incredible. What is, going that, down. What is it made out of? It's all... This is all wool. Oh the body God, is made Eric. out of wool, and then it's resin with the colored candles dripping out. It's incredible. So the first three, it's divided into three, 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 so nine. And so the first three are all about the openings of the ceremony because it's sort of a ritualistic telling. And so this is when the candles are lit in the opening of the ceremony. <gasps> and this, the second oh one, oh my God, guys, I mean, is we... called the cleansing, and. It's a it's a coffin shaped piece, and the the this is all woven. I wove all the the skirt portion on a loom, and it has you know sticks of oh, sage sticking incredible. out the the sides of it, and so that's the second part, which is mm-hmm. like the lighting of the sage, the dusting of the sage. Mm-hmm. So that's number two, wow. and then number three is it's a it's sort of a large blue piece and it's this technique called coiling which is mm-hmm. taking individual strips of fabric mm-hmm. and wrapping them in thread and sewing them in these 3D shapes That's and incredible. so in the middle of it is a tibetan singing bowl so it's like the the candle lighting and the dusting of the sage and then the lighting of the bowl and then at this point the ceremony is ready to begin and the tones are so beautiful with the blue and and I see there's like some magenta and like purple. Mm-hmm. It's like it's so beautiful. Purple. And then there's, yeah, there's the different shades of blue and the yellow. And then, thanks. Oh, wow. Look at it. So you're talking about mental health, but you really had an experience that prompted this. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I go on these really long meditation retreats um, mm-hmm. that you, you know, I've been on the same retreat um, a whole bunch of times now, and it's kind of like 10 hours, uh, or sorry, 10 days, 10 mm-hmm. physical days, but you're there for like 12 with a, you know, the padding. Mm-hmm. And it's 10 to 12 hours of meditation a day. Mm-hmm. And Can I ask what, um, is it, where, the location, is it out, outdoors? Well, I've d- no, it's it's all indoors because it's... Interesting. Yeah, it has to be because when you, you're, the technique is a Theravada, which is a type okay. of Buddhist technique. Okay called Vipassana. It's the Theravada mm-hmm. version of Vipassana, which is feeling sensations on your body to get you to realize the nature of impermanence. And mm-hmm. I can translate that another time, how that kind of, uh, how that would actually do that, mm-hmm. how feeling sensations would help you get to realizing impermanence. Mm-hmm. But um, when you, since you're feeling sensations throughout your body, when you go outside, you, you're distracted by like the wind and the sounds and all of this stuff is like a really big distraction because you're trying to focus on vibrations in, mm-hmm. inside of you. And so they have everything indoors. Mm-hmm. That's so so cool. I think when you're doing that for such a long period of time, you mm-hmm. get really, it doesn't feel like that. Well, I'll, I'll get back to that because I'm going to, I'll explain all of that. Mm-hmm. And let me go through shadow work mm-hmm. because it's all tied into what you were just mm-hmm talking about 
but so that that oh is my when God. the candle so the I remember this. I remember seeing seeing this on your Instagram and being blown away. It's so like, this is the oh, fourth piece incredible. which is the you know there's this, this large jute woven mm-hmm. structure of a it's kind of mummy like I guess and the body is split open and that's when all the junk is inside kind mm-hmm. of rotting. And that's all woven. I had to build oh a giant God. loom for that. And then this is this is the uh, fifth piece. It's called the crematorium, which is this large woven furnace-like structure. And so from the last piece, mm-hmm. this face on here is on the fourth piece, which I called it Juanita. And Juanita was this mummy who was who you can still see I saw her when I was in a museum in, in Arequipa in Peru mm-hmm. and she was chosen at a really young age to be sacrificed when she was uh, you know 10 to 12 mm-hmm. and so they brought her up in this mountain and she kind of knew her whole life that she was going to die mm-hmm. and they brought her up in this mountain and they kind of did this three day ceremony and they hit her on the head with a rock mm-hmm. and then they she was left there for dead and then like you know 200 years later, archaeologists dug her up. And because it was so cold up there, they found her in this, like, perfect frozen position. Mm-hmm. And so she now was, she's like, the mummy. preserved. Yeah, but so I became really obsessed with that idea of, like, knowing your whole life you're going to die. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like that thing about what I was talking about with space, yeah. where you can either use it to completely liberate yourself mm-hmm. or completely be trapped by fear, knowing that. Yeah. But, it, you know, her story is it's no different than any of ours, you know, because mm-hmm. the grand scheme of the universe, our life is like... It goes by so quick and we mean nothing. And so you can kind of use that to either completely be trapped by it Mm -hmm. or nothing matters, you know? So that's the piece that the body is split open and all the junk is inside. And then the next piece is called the crematorium is when you're rotting in all of that junk. I see that there's markings on the floor. What Mm -hmm. do they signify? So we... I shot the first five of them for this mm-hmm. magazine called King Kong. Okay. Um, do you know the magazine? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. It's a great magazine. Yeah, it's really... I love that magazine. Um, before, and so we built a set for that. And so the markings is kind of just like the countdown to, mm. to death. Oh, that's incredible. And it's also, you know, you see it in like prison cells. Yeah, and you see it I was going like to say, I've seen... I've, I can relate on where, especially looking at the crematorium, and guys will make... Again, we'll put this on our... Um, Instagram, but the feet coming out and mm-hmm. the countdown. Mm-hmm. And so that's when, you know, wow. you're burning in your own junk and that's all woven. And then this piece is the next one is called the cocoon, which is when all of that junk, you know, you burn in it and then it's mm-hmm. completely solidified until mm-hmm. you're like, can't get out. You know, it's this feeling of like <gasps> mm-hmm. being trapped inside of it. Mm-hmm. And so that's why this one is cocoon shaped and it's all... This is all reed down the middle, and it's kind of woven through the reed, a cocoon. And so the last three pieces are, they're all made of reed that's all dyed, and they have these nylon threads going down. And they're, it's, it's about the, it's, they're called the disappearance of the rainbow body, one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. And so each one of these pieces is, there's this Buddhist concept called, you know, it's the rainbow body phenomenon mm-hmm. that at the time of death, if you become enlightened, your body shoots out into rainbow light. Mm-hmm. It's so amazing. And when I was studying in a monastery, I did a, a retreat in this monastery in Nepal, and it's really cool. There's this room that they, you know, that we got taken into, 
that uh, there, there are these like, you know, llamas that when they had died, the really high llamas that have like studied for, you know, lifetimes, they burn that they build these pyres and they burn the bodies in it. And then like they come back a couple of days later after the ashes are settled and pearls erupt, like actual pearls are inside the ashes and they take the pearls out and they put them on like, you know, like a museum room basically and it's just like in glass and they put them on pillows and they measure them and the pearls grow every year and so in this room you can see all the different pearls and the objects that kind of they call them relics Mm -hmm. that arose out of the ashes and they they have the measurements next to them and they show how they like very 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 small micro you know measurements Mm -hmm. but they every year these pearls get bigger and bigger it's so incredible but anyway this rainbow body phenomenon is like at the time of death, you know, your body shoots out into rainbow light. Mm-hmm. So in my story, the first one, which is like a sort of sarcophagus woman body shape, it becomes blacker and you can see the rainbow threads getting blacker. And then the next one is this big green one wow. and it gets blacker and it's this, there's a person this, inside that's where, vomiting. Is this made out of, what is this made out of? Reed. That's oh, beautiful. Yeah. So this is, a, this is like from a, a, a tree and they make islands out of it. I was in Peru oh. and, and they made all, yeah, seeing a floating islands made it all, I made a reed. Wow, so this is, this um, reed is actually from Peru Mm-mm. that you got? No. No, but it's the same material. By, oh, wow. It's incredible. Yeah. And it's, it's all. I die the hell out of. Everything. Yeah, I was gonna say I love. How did you get the different tones in it? It's just all the process. yeah. It's that's all di- it's all dyed. It's so. And so greedy. that's the, and this is the third one. So this is the the blackest of the rainbow threads, which is mm-hmm. this big red piece with all the coiled colors coming out. And so the, it gets blacker and blacker, showing that anything that's good mm-hmm. is you know, which is the rainbow body part, is completely being sucked away. Mm-hmm. So when I had the show, each one of these was in a circle to show this is. The lifetime of the lifetimes and this process we do to ourselves over and over of mm-hmm. reinforcing negative thoughts, you know. And so the mind is talked about as this like river of mental moments. And so every moment, which is a thought, kind of leads you to the last, which leads you to the last, but, you know, and you can track it back and back and back. And if you're putting these, sowing these seeds of neg- negative thoughts over and over until you die again, only to be born again and do the same so this Mm -hmm. ritualistic telling where it's you know the first three which is like you know the candles and the dusting and then you're you know the body split open and you're doing that to yourselves and then the last three is you know everything that's you're doing it's it's completely being sucked away Mm -hmm. so it's this process of reinforcing negative thoughts over and over again dying being reborn again and doing it over you know doing the process over Mm -hmm. and so the name actual the actual name shadow work comes from my lucid dream practice so there's this practice that you can become lucid in a dream state which is to go to sleep Mm -hmm. and then you basically wake up in the dream state and there's all these amazing techniques you can do Mm -hmm. during the day to become lucid during the dream state like my favorite one was always the they call them reality checks Mm -hmm. my favorite one was the hand check which is like you do this during the day and you train your mind to be able to do this at night so you look at your hand wait do it with me look at your hand ask yourself am i dreaming turn it around turn your hand around and then turn it back and ask yourself am i dreaming and anytime anything weird happens during the day do that hand check 
And so you're training yourself. And so at night, something weird will happen, you know, and then maybe you'll do your hand check. Mm -hmm. And when you're sleeping, the um, right side of your brain shuts down. It's only left side. And no, sorry, the left side of your brain shuts down. It's only the right side. Mm -hmm. The left side is what gives pattern recognition. And so when you look at your hand when you're sleeping, Mm -hmm. when you're dreaming, and you turn it over again and then turn it back, it'll never be the same. Like you'll have like four fingers or it'll be dripping. And it's the same reason why in your dreams technology never works. Yeah, that's so another one. Never, that's another reality check. You can never check. dial a phone, yeah. for example, mm-hmm. in a dream. Mm-hmm. Um, because anything that requires mathematical cognition mm-hmm. doesn't function. You won't be able to do your, When you're in wow. Clocks sleeping, don't work the yeah. same. So actually that was, uh, w- w- I had a lucid dream practice for, for a while that I was trying to, and I got, I got to a point that I was trying to figure out how to, you know, because I always sleep with my phone next to me. And so I would wake up, I would become lucid in a dream and I would try to text myself because I, I knew I was lucid and I'd be like, I'm going to try to text myself and see if it actually comes to my phone when I wake up. And I was able to to actually try to text myself, but it never actually worked. But anyway, shadow work is where um, it's a technique that when you become lucid, okay, so you, you realize that you're dreaming when you're dreaming. And then what are you, what are you going to do? I mean, you can do a lot of fun things like fly and mm-hmm. go have sex with somebody or, which mm-hmm. I've definitely done, but my favorite to do is is something called shadow work, which is calling out to shadows that are buried in your subconscious. Mm. So all these darknesses that you have and like, you know, the subconscious, which is like the least sub thing about, it, you know, controls everything you do. It's mm-hmm. the reason why my hand is doing this. And I, the reason why, the you know, my voice is talking like this. It's everything. And so you have all the shit buried in there. Mm-hmm. And so you can call out to that, that stuff. And my favorite thing to do is call out to childhood trauma. So you become lucid and you'd be like, childhood trauma, come forward. And something will come in the form mm-hmm. of your child, whether it's like a person or the mood will change or the lighting. And then you can either talk to it or address it. And when you wake up, something will shift because you mm-hmm. brought all that crap up from your subconscious. Mm-hmm. And so that's called shadow work. And that's why I named this is because before I conceived of this project, you know, every one of these pieces for me was kind of like, it was like a shadow that was buried in my subconscious. Mm-hmm. And so I had thought that if I can drum them up and make them, they'd be out of me. And I would be able to face them in a line and sort of even talk to them all, like physically mm-hmm. actually go there and, and do that to the demons. show. Yeah. yeah that's incredible. And do that. And so that's where the word actual word shadow work came from. You know, it's interesting to, you know, because I'm I'm hearing you speak and it's so inspiring because I think, you know, we all have times in our lives that there's certain things that are lie, lie dormant that are, you know, that you're facing your fears, you're facing, you know, that your biggest losses, things that really have affected you and... For me, one is Hurricane Katrina when I lost everything, and I often have dreams of, you know, of drowning and in water, and it's, you know, it's that fear of having that happen to me in New Orleans, and hearing you speak about that, it's very interesting, because it's like, automatically, when you're talking about it, I was like, that's my one demon that I want to get out, and like, 
practice and like start looking at things in a different type of viewpoint because yeah. it, it is its own in to me hearing this it's like you know the mind is a is a dangerous weapon and it's like you're really you know if in your subconscious and i always say if you feel and you always think negative it's going to be negative you know well, you the have mind to, is a tool it's, yeah you know i mean it it's a it's an interesting thing to study because i think that if you're going to talk about mind versus cognition mm-hmm. you know you can measure brain waves but you mm-hmm. can't measure consciousness so no. there's something going on you know with the power of thinking and working through your subconscious working itself out through dreams that mm-hmm. you know is kind of still mysterious to us and yeah yeah I, I mean i think one of the things that is consistent with you eric is that you are really interested in personifying these experiences mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like actually literally creating a physical identifiable Mm -hmm. narratives through your work Mm -hmm. so you you know you do the meditation training thing that you do Mm -hmm. the 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 lecture the 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 guided meditation about personifying your demons yeah but that's the same process of what you did with shadow work you know you're you're literally putting a face and a name to something far more abstract which you know, maybe makes it more approachable for people to deal with. Can you tell us a little bit about, I know you did a practice in Boston and in Moscow with that. What exactly goes on in the workshop? So the, the way, the way I kind of box it or phrase it is Mm -hmm. it, it has to do, you know, all of this stuff, the way I got to shadow work and the way I got to really, uh, this whole idea and the whole concept was like, you know, through studying myself and these like long med- meditation retreats and everything mm-hmm. that I realized about myself, really. And so there is a practice, and I, I'm a meditation teacher, like a certified meditation teacher. So, <laughs> well, I'm just, it goes I along know, with I what know. I'm yeah. about to say. So there's a. He's um, certified. Huh? Uh, I'm certified. <laughs> he's certified. To, so. He's certified to get enlightened. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen. No, I just mean I'm able to teach yeah, it. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I have like. And if I was going to go to, I, go to something like this, I want to make sure that I would go to someone that's certified that knows what they're doing. Yeah, I mean it's not a, just a, yeah. Speaking, so, Andrew. So um, there's a um, there's a Tibetan practice called uh, feeding your demons, mm-hmm. which was sort of made by this uh, Lama called Lama Sultrum and it is a practice that it's you, you basically have you you confront a demon of yours mm-hmm. and so I go the the workshop that I give and I you know I talk about all about shadow work and and the importance of bringing stuff up mm-hmm. and being able to sort of confront it and also how to go about it artistically do an artistic you know artistic practice with it mm-hmm. And it's a, so I, I talk about that and then I lead the meditation, which is feeding your demons, which is you picture a demon is anything that's like blocking you from Absolutely. blocking your energy, yeah. which is like, it could be like a deep trauma that you go mm-hmm. through with your mother, your feelings mm-hmm. towards it, something like that. Or it could Great be, loss. Yeah. yeah, or it could be something totally surfacey, like mm-hmm. how I didn't like how Andrew said that <laughs> five minutes ago, right. you know, I can work with that and it's really, I can really, relate with that a lot. Yeah. We, we can all relate with Andrew's <laughs> ignorance and you're just kidding. I'm kidding. So anyway, hot Colin Kettle Black. Baby. <laughs> Are you ta- talking to both of us? I'm talking to both <laughs> of you. So it's you, you, I, I, you know, I give the workshop yeah. and I talk about shadow work and all of that stuff and the importance of like being able to do this yourself. And then I lead this meditation where you think of this demon. You have a chair in front of you that's empty, mm-hmm. and so you, it's a visualization practice where you. Um, 
you know, you find the demon in your body, you locate it, and you you sort of push it out into mm-hmm. the chair in front of you, and then you give it, you personify it. So you give it a face, and you give it arms, and then you ask it these specific three questions, and find the answers, and then switch places and become the demon. And then, you know, you do the whole process as the demon and try, you know, answering the same questions as the demon. And then you kind of go back and forth, switching chairs Mm -hmm. to become yourself. And then, you, you you know, you have an ally there, and then you become the ally, and you ask it a bunch of questions. And it's always the same format for it, but it's always a different thing. Mm. And so it's, it's it's like a very surfacey, it's not surfacey, but it's it's a very quick way to be able to experience, you know, a practice like mm-hmm. my work was about. Absolutely, and it's like I, I definitely. I mean, the, this has been such an amazing conversation because everything that you do, I like this conversation. You can see that it really in your work, and also the practices that you do, and it's very inspiring. I would love to take that class. That would really help me a lot, you know, being what we just talked about, that my demon is, you know, water. I'm afraid of floods. and. But you might find out through it that it's much deeper. Deeper than that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's interesting because when you switch places with the demon and you answer the questions as a demon, mm-hmm. well, for me, and I don't want anybody to, like, have expectations that yeah. it's going to happen like this because you shouldn't have any expectations. Yeah. But when you, I always switch places and I answer the questions the demon never feels the same. It never feels like what you think it feels like when you're you looking at the demon. And it never answers the questions the same way, you know? It's usually this, like, vulnerable, hurt mm-hmm. thing that you don't realize that it's coming from this pain, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know why this is not talked about in Western psychology, more yeah. the use of dreams. and Because knowing... we can't measure it. Not to interrupt you, but I really yeah. feel like... the biggest difference between eastern and western medicine in general whether it's psychological medicine or not is the use of abstract thinking like the west must be able to measure something using the scientific method or else it's you know unusable in science or medicine and but we study dreams in western yeah we study we study wavelengths yeah in dream analysis i have a a friend of mine actually my lawyer that just went through this whole dream analysis and he was telling me about and it was incredible because things and he would like he had you know all these trouble you know different months he would have trouble you know sleeping and you know then lucid dreams that would keep him up and he had this state of sleepwalking and he had no idea what was all come so they he went through this thing but you know you're you're right there's something that you know it's interesting because i I think it, it causes trauma to a lot of people as well if you start having you know lots of nightmares and you can also mm-hmm. you know it's like a ptsd scenario i don't know the i don't know i'm not well versed in western psychology especially dream analysis to know the use of science in it mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know yeah i don't know what the limitations are there and how much of it is subjective in terms of science yeah i know that they have um every year the dalai lama does this um uh like convention i guess and it's usually a couple days long, and it's called the Mind and Life Con. It's a conference, mm-hmm. and so it's the best brains in the West versus versus the Dalai Lama and like his people, and they compare theories on specific subjects. Like mm-hmm. one of them, the one that I'm thinking of, is called Sleeping, Dreaming, and Dying. Mm-hmm. So anything that has to do with those three, and they have you know the Harvard research laboratory scientists specifically coming in who study this sort of form of sleep and all of that. Mm-hmm. 
And they made so many advances talking about the Western, I mean, get, getting uh, information from the Eastern point of view mm-hmm. or from the Buddhist point of view, really, because mm-hmm. that's what the Dalai Lama is. But I don't know. I gave, when I was doing my um, meditation teacher training, I had given a lecture on lucid dreaming because it wasn't part of it. But I, I had talked about it. And one of the things that one of the pers- people said was like, you do realize this is like a, and I talked a lot about shadow work because that was like, you need to have a point when you become lucid. You need to be able to, okay, now you're lucid. What are you going to do? Hmm. And so that was just one of the many things you can do. But she had said that you do realize this is like really freaky to be able to do. And I was like, the thing that you have to realize the most is like, it's you. Yeah. Like you can't get hurt in a dream ever. Yeah. So if you're drowned in water. Right. Breathe. Exactly. Because even if water goes through your throat, you're not going to die. Right. You're it, not going to get harmed. Like, is it true, though, that, I mean, obviously that kind of literal physical harm isn't going to come to you. Mm-hmm. Like if you get dream, if you dream that you're getting bit by a dog, you're not going to wake up with bite marks. Mm-hmm. But could, couldn't extreme anxiety in dreams, you know, contribute to extreme anxiety when you're awake? I did. I, I mean... I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but it I don't cause trauma. To, you know, some people really analyze their dreams and take them for sometimes not what they're really supposed to be, and make a whole thing about it. Yeah, I feel like I feel like for me personally, look, when I'm afraid in dreams, I don't remember being necessarily afraid of something, mm-hmm. rather than simply being afraid that I feel fear. But here's mm-hmm. the thing. Here's mm-hmm. the thing. You're unconscious at that point. Right. And so if you were to become, and I'm talking talking about lucidity, you know, if you were to be like, I'm lucid, I know that there is nothing to fear because I know that I'm in a dream Mm -hmm. and I know that this anxiety is not real and I know that this water is a figment of my imagination. Right. And then I know that I can breathe and do whatever the hell I want because Mm -hmm. I'm lucid. That's what's going to, you know, they're, they're, there's all these stories about people having these reoccurring dreams of like ghosts chasing right. them and people, and then they become lucid and then, you know, it takes a lot of power, but just turn around and be like, what do you want? Exactly. And confront yeah. that. And the thing will be, it's, it's not going to stab you in the face or maybe it will, but then you realize that there's... I'm dreaming. Yeah, the dreaming <laughs> and it's not going to hurt and it, there's a, there's... It's never going to be like you think it's going to be, you know? Mm. So I don't think it can really lead to anything but good because all of that shit is buried there mm-hmm. for so long. And that's one thing I've noticed about when I go on, like, long retreats is I, I literally spent... I remember this is one 10-dayer that I went on, and it was... I literally, every single time I sat... I think we'll watch The Karate Kid right before that. Every single time I sat down, I would have these, like... You know, these, these like, memories of this one scene and these four lines from the fucking Karate Kid mm-hmm. that would replay in my mind every single time. And it would be complete torture. And then at the end, something really crazy, kind of weird happened where I, I dug something up and I was, like, crying and crying and crying. Yeah. Crying. Interesting. And I realized that. You know, I thought, and the whole time I was like, I'm wasting my time. I have to get this out of my head. I have to get this out of my head. And it's like, I realized that that was put in, 
the, all of these, you know, the, the Karate Kid thing was put in by my ego or whatever it is to distract me from getting there and that I was fighting off. That's what we're, what happens to us 24 hours a day. Right, exactly. Where we're, we're, we're not actually being like, no, I will not let, the, you know, it's like going to war in mm-hmm. these retreats. They're mm-hmm. not really peaceful at all. They're right. torture. Right. We and have s- moments, hopefully, of, of peace. At the end, yeah. yeah. And it always, it I, I know that I'm fighting off something that is bringing up and it's just coming in that form mm-hmm. you know they call it sankaras yeah mm-hmm. which are yeah. negative things in your mind that are and those sankaras came in that case in the form of karate kid mm-hmm. and i just thought i was being distracted and i didn't realize that was where sankaras coming up mm-hmm. right that i had to battle to really get to some meat mm-hmm. that you know is rotting in my mm-hmm. wherever it was i fainted at a meditation retreat once oh my god from what? when i was a kid yeah how old were you maybe 14 or 15 Mm. maybe 16 but yeah I mean yeah meditation retreats are but I mean when I was doing them I was doing them you know with a group of people that I was that I was training with Mm -hmm. and you know I think for me just the nerves being it was a zen setting too so in a zen setting it's very strict it's extremely extremely strict you know and so i I think that the lesson in zen is all about paring everything down to like one principle that explains everything Mm -hmm. you know so i think just the strictness is the training because it makes you feel so scared you know like you are it's like military training Hmm. so for, for i think for me it was like i was in pain yeah. Psychological pain, physically, physically sure in pain. Yeah, and I was so afraid of moving. Mm. I was so. I think I was so. I was just. I was not. I was not embracing that the training. You know, I was. I was trying to be good. You know, and like I was so afraid of breaking the rules and not moving, and uh, I didn't. I didn't rise to the challenge, and it overwhelmed me mm-hmm. completely. Yeah. I mean, I could totally see that. There, there. I mean, I, I definitely know that feeling of being like, you know, sitting for like twelve hours a day, and your back is just aching, yeah. and my hips are aching, and it to the point of like, when will this pain stop? But that's mm-hmm. the whole. That's, that's the whole point. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's. It's not. It's not really. I, I don't know. I have a hard time saying it's the point, but it kind of is in the in the way of like when I was talking about vipassana before right, and the process. Yeah, of, and the the realizing that feeling those sensations and coming to a point at some point realizing that that pain you're feeling it's just another sensation that's in your mm. body detaching from it it's not identifying out. It, yeah. not identifying and not mm-hmm. adding on top and just realizing it's another sensation like mm-hmm. that tickling on the top of your thumb mm-hmm. you know there is there is really no difference and that and the 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 realization of that is it's impermanent mm-hmm. meaning changing moment to moment mm-hmm. which i think people think of impermanent as like you know, much grander than, but all it means is changing moment to moment, just like mm-hmm. any, every single thing, you know, all the atoms in the universe, changing moment to moment. So that was my phone <laughs> because okay. I did t- decided not to turn the volume off. Guys, um, you need to check out Eric's website so you can see the beautiful um, fiber works of shadow work. Uh, e. R-I-K-B-E-R-G-R-I-N, ericbergren.com. 
So on your website, it says that you also do costuming. And most importantly, it's something that is really inspiring to me. You did a lot of stuff for Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Can you tell us a little bit about that process and how you met John and doing that? Because I think it's so awesome that you worked on that. Yeah, that was pretty cool. So last year when I was getting ready for my Shadow Work show, mm-hmm. um, John was telling me about this tour he was doing. And it was, uh, it was called uh, The Origin of Love, The Songs and Stories of Hedvig. Mm-hmm. So it's like a um, kind of a cabaret style show where he tells the origin of how Hedvig began. Mm-hmm. And he sings songs from that. And like a, also a new podcast that he has come out called Oh, Anthem. yeah, I saw that, which it's is really awesome. It's, it's so really good. It's really good. It's a narrative. It's a story. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's a story. And it's like 10 episodes and each one's like an hour so it's 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 long, but it's it's like really complex and it's really beautiful music and it's really obviously hilarious puns and in, in the writing and it's really good. It's really well rounded. I really liked it. I'm not just saying that because we just work together, but he <laughs> um, anyway he was doing this show called The Songs and Stories of Hedvig, and so he kind of was like, I'm doing this tour. I'm doing it you know, at at random locations, and I just want something that will sort of double for a set. Mm -hmm. And to keep it, you know, keep it in this kind of black and white, and and Hedwig's, uh, the guy who does all the wigs and the makeup, Mike Potter. Love Mike. Yeah, he's amazing. We love you. Yeah, we we love Mike. Mike's a good friend of ours. He he did a gray wig, like the Hedwig wig Mm -hmm. with gray, and so we kept it in the scale of, like, you know, aged Hedwig. Oh, amazing. Yeah, it's really cool. And he kind of wanted something that was, like, he kept saying meta Hedwig, which is, Mm -hmm. like, a reference to Hedwig, but not actually Hedwig. Right. Just to clarify that, John in the show is John. He's John... Yeah. As Hedwig, yeah, like he's not actually. He's not playing the role. He's not. He's not the persona of Hedwig. Got it. Because he he tells sto- the stories of how Hedwig was created. So before he mm-hmm. sings a song, for example, mm-hmm. he as John is talking about the origin of that song, the story behind how it was written with Stephen Trask, the person who wrote all the music, mm-hmm. gives background story about the success and the growth of Hedwig mm-hmm. from the, kind of the ground up. So it's really John giving kind of a BTS of mm-hmm. Hedwig mm-hmm. dressed as this meta Hedwig character. Yeah. How many how many different costumes did you create? So it, originally he was just kind of like, I was just thinking of this thing that, um, you know, he could take one layer off after every song. And yeah. it was kind of, he kept saying modular. and oh, so. And so I was like, okay, I have these parameters. And I was getting ready for my shadow work show at the time. And I was, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was ha- having, uh, it was weaving all these flat weavings for it. And this, this, this show was a lot to prepare for. And I also made a, a formative video before the my showing. So mm-hmm. I was building this costume at the same time of that. And it was such a, such a crazy time. But the, the um, costume starts out with... You know, he's in the full outfit, and then he has these giant arm things that he puts together, and it makes the Hedwig symbol, which is the two half faces mm-hmm. that are the kind of yin-yang line between them. And it opens up into um, the sleeves open up until these these big things with, you know, the, the faces from the original Blood video. Oh, right, right, right. And so a- after that, he takes the sleeves off, and then he has this... 
uh, outfit on underneath. And the first thing that he takes off after that is the, there's a flap skirt with mm-hmm. these like kind of Trump Loy 3D boxes on it. Mm-hmm. And then that comes off and it's very, it's flat. And then he has a, the next thing that comes off is a, this belt with all these, uh, uh, jacket patterns on the back and it's all black and white and these big hip pieces and so that comes off as one mm-hmm. and then underneath he has on a, the bodice and then the heart also comes out and the heart li- lights up mm-hmm. and so he there's a part where he takes the heart out and it's kind of just magnetized back in and then the next thing to come off after that was the arm pieces one by one wow. and then the bodice comes off and then he's wearing a t-shirt and a the next thing yeah and then the skirt comes off at the end when i look it's so 3d it's incredible like we'll also put this on our um instagram guys but it's like the black and white i love the gray wig and it's so it is you know it's very modular yeah and the um we had the the original the one before right before he finished Oh yeah, look uh, at the piece. We did a photo Incredible. shoot with Mick Rock. Like Mick Rock shot oh, those I love original. Mick. I know him. Yeah, oh, and he great. was just like amazing to work with. Oh look at that! And so oh, that's, that's when it, yeah. it's closed, and then that's when the sleeves open. That's amazing. And then the sleeves are the first to come off, and he has that on underneath, and he does a shoe change too. And then this flap skirt is the next one to come off, wow. and that's that. And then it's in that, and there's Mick, there's Mick yeah. in the photograph. That was so, and then that, that was so much fun. So Andrew right? helped with the makeup for He's that. Fantastic. Assisted Mike, oh, Mike Potter. Braids. Oh my god, that's just underneath the wig, right? Yeah, that's and then amazing. he takes the wig off at a certain point. Oh, he does in the uh-huh. show. In the show, I, I and then it. he becomes. Every time I was here, I was out of town. And at the end, he sings "Angry Inch" and crowd surfs in like the the last outfit. Yeah. So yeah, oh. and it's and it started in an Australian tour. It went to a couple cities in Australia, and then went to Korea. And then traveled around the U.S. and Boston and um, D.C. and uh, where else did it go? We went to Mexico City. I went to Mexico City with it. The first, actually, the first time I saw it was in Boston. Boston. Oh wow! So it it had already been touring for like. Is that the one that you went to? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, I went to that one. And then we just did three shows in New York at Town Hall. Yeah. On it uh, on you know forty in Times Square, like the Broadway theaters in town hall which was incredible and he added all these Stephen trask added because he does the show with him and this performer named amber martin who oh, is yeah. a genius she's amazing she's so cool i love her so much she's just such a hoot to be around and she is a fucking rock star she's a total rock star. she is so amazing yeah. in the show and then they added so it was just the two of them but then and the full band mm-hmm. and um and they added Stephen Trask for the mm-hmm. New York shows. And also they had all these, uh, you know, guest people singing. Like Neil Patrick Harris was there because oh, he played Hedvig on Broadway. And um, That's incredible. Lena Hall, who won the Tony for playing Yitzhak on Broadway. And yeah, mm-hmm. all the people who played Broadway, uh, Hedvig in the past, mm-hmm. were added for the town oh, hall show. So it was it was oh, so amazing to be a part of that, and especially because it's still going on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, every so often, like this weekend, actually today, it's at Bard. Is it? Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Wow. So they're up there doing two shows right now. Incredible. Yeah, it's really cool. It's been so rewarding to see, and it's it feels like the show changes every time. And so just looking at your vast works, I mean, it's incredible that you're able to do, you know, 
you're, you're multifaceted, which is very inspiring to me. And I can relate on a lot of different levels because I try to juggle a lot of different things and try to gather inspiration from, you know, either meditation or, you know, a book like mm. we, we first started talking about or, you know, looking at something visual like art and, you know, and also costumes because I, that's what, you know, I always say, you know, I've been a makeup artist for a very long time, for 25 years, and I, I work at the theater every day because I have to create a character. And oh, sometimes that's cool. it's really difficult. And looking at what you you do, it is very inspiring that you're able to translate in so many different forms of, of media and still be inspired because, you know, doing these big, vast, you know, projects, it is, you know, it you always think about, like, Okay, it's like how, you know, how how would I do this in a commercial sense? And it's so, it's so, to me, you know, blatantly obvious in my eyes that you bring it to the costumes that you do. And, you know, that someone you, obviously, even like the Hedwig, it's like, I would love to have one of these dresses. I would totally Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'll make you I one. Think, I want one. I'm like, I think it's just, it's so cool. So I've really enjoyed and so inspired by this conversation, Eric, and Andrew and I have... We're so excited that you wanted to be on this podcast with us and, you know, to talk about your journey. Thanks. I mean, this is all, the, you know, the art, art of uh, the sculptures and the, they're kind of all the same world, mm-hmm. you know. I, I, it's kind of new for me to like, you know, because obviously the, the shadow work was shown at this gallery called Marlboro in, on 25th Street. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's, a, it's an art, it's an art gallery. And then this yeah. kind of stuff is in theater. And I, I, it's, for me, it's kind of all the same world even though it's like such mm-hmm. separated industries I mm-hmm. guess and such separated kind of fields is there anything that in, in being an artist and you know that you would like to try something new like it's yeah like, I I I really I really want to make a collection interesting yeah I've in always fashion like yeah I mean you know it'd still be kooky it would yeah, not of be course. It would I not know be ready like, is it wearable no, like, no but why well, not yeah. I think the con- I think it's a context contextual thing for you because I mean I've known you like our entire adult lives yeah. and you've always wanted to sort of like knock off things on a checklist and I think that you know fashion is it's a context thing it's the fact that it's on a runway it's the way that the clothes are being presented and then it's the way that you're able to reference the things that have inspired you you know in in a more specific way cuz like shadow work was it came from that inspiration. Yeah, that morphed, right. That's you know? what I was gonna say. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I I also like to do uh, design movies and do film more film stuff, and even if mm-hmm. it's you know styling, because mm-hmm. I, I I really like fashion, and I haven't, you know, obviously I have a, a na- an eye for that kind of. Well, looking at your Instagram too, it's like you 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 gather. I mean, your Insta- Instagram is so amazing because it's like you always Thanks. put a lot of you know different artists and you know you are corporate incorporate a lot of young emerging fashion designers in there and you know people that have like really think outside the box and you know it really hits home with me and you can see it like touches with you and the the art that you do because it's it is inspiring and I think it is important to kind of push oneself when you are an artist and sometimes it can be quite stagnant like you know our project with Andrew and I doing you know this very podcast or you know Lovecraft Beauty it's it it is is really about pushing yourself and trying you know things new and it's like I think for me it's all about taking a risk and when you when the risk becomes successful it's so rewarding Mm. well I think it's also you know you're the kind of person or the kind of artist Eric where you 
don't look at somebody else and be like, that's the path I want to take because you are in in between things, you know, and I definitely can relate to that with myself. You know that, you know, we're in between people. We, we like fashion and design and styling. We relate to that, especially as queer people. Right. Mm -hmm. But our ideas and our questions and the things that we want to investigate go beyond the limitations of styling and design. And so you end up becoming an artist. You end up becoming, you know, a spiritual practitioner. And you have to find a way to be one person amidst all of those different industries. You're not following a career path of, you know, somebody who's, you know, gone before you necessarily because you're really being yourself. You're really doing all of those things together. And you just touch upon different contexts as you get invited to do things. Whether yeah. it's a gallery show or a costume a costume for a play or, or for a movie or styling something. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a really nice compliment to, you know, because it's, it's basically calling me genuine. Mm-hmm. You're you very know, genuine. A, yeah. Thank you. Authenticity is a pursuit. It you know, goes yeah. a long way. And but there's I, not a lot of people that are. I, yeah. And I think, start to realize I think that. I think a lot like, of people... Well, I don't know. I don't even want to say it because yeah. I think a lot of people yeah. think they are. That, absolutely. And I think they think they are. And I, I don't know. Who's to be this? Who's to say who's that? To who's to say? Right. Being no, more genuine than the ego other is a person. powerful thing too. Because I, I always say, you know, an ego is a form of insecurity. If you have to live a certain way or present yourself a certain way, you know, I think also, you know, having um, a sense of self and and security and a positivity. That's one thing. But then when you have an ego and it becomes this bigger thing, it's like. Who are you doing that for? Well, that can also really be authentic, too. I mean, some people with big egos, I mean, they mm. they could be authentically egoic. I mean, you know, like, it's, yeah, it's hard. I'm just saying be careful to judge somebody as being inauthentic. No, know? it's not yeah. being inauthentic. It's more about having someone with this massive ego, and it becomes, you know, to me, I always think it's an insecurity thing. It's like, I, I don't think that you, I think we're all human and we're all from the same plane. And it's like, if for someone to, I, I deal a lot with that at work, shout out to all my fashion people, but it's like, you know, <laughs> I find that very hard to, to deal with that when it, you are presented with an extremely large mindset and, <laughs> you, you know, at the end of the day, you're not curing cancer. You're actually just, you know, doing your job. But, you know, it's... Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i sure... Yeah, I could imagine... And that's in any form of work. Any yeah, I mean, that, 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 that could be any... That could be... It could be... In, Absolutely. It could be, but I'm, I mean, fashion has a big cliche to have that. And well, yeah. Clichés are there for a reason. No, I'm saying yeah. it's probably... If anybody's to deal with that... I mean, the arts uh, arts in general. But, you know, anyway... By the way, I love these sup hard ciders. Yeah, um, Cucumber sup. Sup, we... Uh, you know, I bought these at the grocery store. We're not endorsed. We're, um, not endorsed. we're not We're looking for endorsements. <laughs> no, so, it's so good. Uh, shout and out I, to Sub Hard Seltzer Sub cu- uh, the Cucumber. Seltzer. They have 5% alcohol. It is a hot summer day in New York. And <laughs> I love that it says, I'm talking hot tub vibes. T- oh, and, and we're tub getting ready to go in our we're hot getting tub. Ready, yeah, we're going to go in the hot tub. We're actually recording this podcast yeah, from, from a hot tub. Hot tub. <laughs> Can you imagine? Underneath That would be really funny. Oh, well, this has been a wonderful conversation and a wonderful journey with artist Eric Bergren. Yeah, thanks. It's really fun. Yeah, I'm happy. I'm glad we came here. And I'm going to...
you know, spend some time here in your Please. library when you're not home. Please. I'm going to ask Jordan, Andrew to be like, Jordan when is she wet? Oh, when love Jordan's it. not here, well, too. Well, you need I'm to tell Jordan in. all of the books because I'm sure you guys, my husband is a bookworm and he reads a lot of different types of books and I'm sure you guys are reading a lot of the same ones because he's, he's that inspirational person that loves to buy books and always is pushing me to buy, like, are you reading? Are you reading? currently reading a book about Howard Hughes' life, which is a very interesting old Hollywood tale, which will hashtag Me Too movement, but that is an okay thing. She's that like, was... I'm reading Instagram captions right now. Right? Andrew D'Angelo. Anything yes. else? Any, another word to say? Uh, no, I think you guys covered it. So, so Thanks for listening, guys. Yeah. And yeah. Check out ericbergren.com, yo. And, and next time. Next time. Bye. Bye.